This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Hi, I'm Greg Watson, and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property, a bit of what's happening in the news and the market, and we look, if we have time, locally, nationally, and internationally. And we're starting off with a bit of national interest, I guess, in that the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand has just produced its latest monthly property report. This talks about uh, house prices and gains in value. Now, this has just come out uh, recently, and the news is good if you own houses, not so good if you don't. Jen Beard in the report, uh, Jen Beard is the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand CEO, she says the median prices for residential property across New Zealand increased 25.2% from 659,500 in July of last year to a record 826,000 in July of this year. Two out of the 16 regions reached new record median prices, two regions saw equal records and 20 district districts reached new median heights. Generally around the country things are up and in a big way. Record median prices were also achieved in Canterbury with a 24.7% increase, Manawatu Wanganui with a 31.8% increase, and uh, we'll break that down in a moment, and Southland, Southland with a 16.7% increase. So if you're living in Auckland, the median house price there is $1.175 million, uh, up 28% on a year ago. If you live outside of Auckland, that median price is 687. Uh, which again is up 23% from the year before. Sales volumes are decreasing around most of the country and that's something which means that those that are selling are selling for a lot higher. And that just means that people are maybe more reluctant to sell if they're finding it um, hard to then find a new property as listings are very low as well. So here's some of the uh, some of the areas in, in, that are a bit closer to the region. I'll just flick through my scores of paperwork here, just to give the impression that I do a whole lot of research. So let's look at where things are at uh, in the in, in Palmerston North and Wanganui and so forth. So before we do, Jen Beard, the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand CEO, uh, had mentioned that. First home buyers have taken back a step back from the market as they take a wait and see approach around the latest government initiatives. So that's interesting that that's quietened down a bit as well. And there's a shortage of available properties, uh, which is down 15.5% available compared to last year. And last year was not <laughs> was down on the year before. Okay, so how is it closer to you? The um, Horofenua District has gone up 26.7%, median of 570. Manawatu District, which includes places like Fielding, up 19.8% to 629. Palmas North City up 33.5% in one year from 508 to 678, median house price. Now, 33%, that's incredible return on investment. Then you have a couple of others, Wanganui, well worth mentioning, 43.3%. So you can see why people are still looking at buying 
in regional New Zealand. What's uh, pretty hard about that, though, is if the if we just take Palmas North as an example, if it's gone from 508 to 678, that's $170,000. And if you need a, uh, a deposit, um, you'd have to save an extra $17,000 on top of what you're already saving just to keep up with the market uh, over the, the last year. So it's, it's pretty hard to, to get that deposit together. Uh, Wanganui, similar, uh, and that's up... Uh, just doing the maths, close to 160,000 in one year. So, so tough, uh, tough going if you're looking to buy your first home. And uh, there's again not a lot to choose from. Another uh, local news here in the Manawatu. This article from Janine Rankin says rail freight plans to gobble 177 hectares of rural and industrial land. Now, how big is a hectare? If you think a rugby field is one hectare. Uh, they're looking at 177 hectares that Kiwi Rail uh, is looking to acquire for their new freight centre on the outskirts of Palmerston North. So it's uh, turning into quite a large and uh, more complicated project than first thought. The existing yards in, in Palmerston North are 20 hectares, so this is significantly larger. Um, and the existing yards which may never running out of capacity to handle existing, let alone future, rail freight volumes. There's definitely a need for it. So the search for the new site was supported by the $40 million Provincial Growth Fund boost to pay for planning and land purchase. So at the end of the first week of a hearing about designation, Kiwi Rail's planning witness Karen Bell outlined the process had identified 177 hectares between Palmerston North and Bunnythorpe as the site for the new development. There was a desire to be close to Palmas North urban area but not too close to existing or anticipated residential areas because the centre would operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week, generating light and noise. It's also important when planning these things to think about flood and instability risks. So this area has to be big enough to accommodate 1.5 kilometre long trains and the marshalling yards, freight forwarding facilities, container depot and maintenance facilities needed for the railway line operations. The area grew bigger when it became apparent the railway line needed to be moved within the site and Robertson's line closed, triggering the need to build a new perimeter road and access points. So Kiwi Rail needed to have control over the land around the operations area to ensure it had space for sound control barriers and planting in corridors up to 30 metres wide to screen out the views of the yards. So big, big undertaking indeed. And uh, that's un- underway or about to be underway, certainly the purchase of properties is underway. I've heard about a number of uh, people that have sold. And what happens in these circumstances, and it is sad for people to have just built, built a new home or built their dream house, uh, as I've uh, spoken to some of those people as well, that I believe it's the Government Works Act where they, if a project is of significant enough importance that uh, the government can buy your land off you um, acquire it, if you like, at a market price. And uh, you, you can't do anything about that legally. So that's uh, what the situation that many people think there's something like um, 77 properties affected uh, by that change. But that's going to be a, a massive undertaking. It's going to be incredibly good uh, for the economy, for the local economy, uh, for distribution, 
for ease of traffic in Palmerston North and so forth. So there are many benefits, and that's sometimes when they make these decisions, they say, do the benefits outweigh uh, the negatives, um, in this case the acquisition of land and moving people on. So very sad for those people, but good for the local economy. Here's another local economy uh, story, but this is in down in the South Island. Uh, and this is in deep in Waitaki. And this is the article here by Brooke Sabin says, Nest Treehouse, inside the South Island's new adults-only luxury treehouse. She says, I've been woken up by some happy birds singing to the sunrise. That's what happens in a treehouse. As my eyes fire into life, I see fresh snow on the mountains. It's time to do something pretty special. A sauna in the trees is heating up. It will soon be ready for a morning steam. There is much more than a treehouse. It's one of the country's best new escapes. So you can find this under the travel section on stuff. And so one of the things with being in the pandemic is, as we are at the moment is that we've still got a lot of movement around the country. So despite the international tourism sort of grinding to a halt, it's been um, pretty cool discovering some of these extra things and uh, the media tends to focus on some of those. So they talk about this uh, beautiful treehouse property and um, it's in the stunning Hakataramia Valley just outside Kuro. Now excuse the pronunciation on those if you don't mind. Um, so it's just in between the Mackenzie Country and North Otago. So you have to drive there, but uh, again, you'd probably have to see the, the pictures. It really is a, a beautiful place. It says, A treehouse is designed to reveal little bits as you walk in, like unwrapping a gift. We're first greeted with magnificent views of the mountains and expansive high country hinterland. Then, out of the peripheral vision, a deep outdoor cedar bath comes into view. Inside the cabin, there's an uber-comfy bed set against floor-to-ceiling glass so you can enjoy the exceptional views without needing to get up when it's cold. So isn't it just brilliant uh, that people make these sort of things and create these wonderful experiences and that we can have those here uh, in this lovely, lovely country of ours. And here's something that might cost more than a treehouse, arguably. This article from the lifestyle section of stuff says, the Auckland parking space more expensive than a house deposit. So to, it's just incredible, like to, the Pacifica Super Penthouse in Auckland is listed for $40 million and is attracting plenty of post-lockdown interest from overseas. This is, to live in the, one of the highest rooms in the tallest town in the land, the princes and princesses of Ponsonby in central Auckland are going to need some serious dough. A single car park in the New Zealand's tallest apartment block, has just sold under the hammer for a record-breaking $288,000. The bidding between five potential buyers for a single car park at the Pacifica Apartment Tower on Commerce Street in Auckland started at an eye-watering $80,000. So this sale makes this New Zealand's most expensive car park, beating the four-year-old record of $265,000 for a spot in the Key Regency apartment building on Auckland's Key Street. The listing agent for the Pacifica Car Park, Barford and Thompson's Annie Chu, said the only buyers who owned an oh, sorry, only buyers that owned apartment Pacifica could take part in Wednesday's auction. And uh, it's quite quite amazing because the nearest Auckland Transport parking building to Commerce Street, where the Pacifica is located, is a downtown parking building which carries a maximum price of forty dollars per day. Shu said there were 270 apartments in the 54-storey Pacifica building and only 143 car parks. 
Most of these are sold with the apartments as a package deal, but buyers can opt out of them if they feel they're unwanted or unnecessary. Chu said her vendors had bought a $2.36 million three-bedroom apartment with a car park, but later decided to ditch their car and its parking space for some people. The attraction of inner-city living is the ability to go carless, she says. So apartments and penthouses in this building are priced between $800,000 and $10 million, and 85% had actually sold off the plans by June 2020. So pretty wealthy people are living in that building indeed. So residents can have the cars parked in their own spaces or in the nearby Wilson's car parks. The allocated sp- space is rented for 600 a month and unallocated for 500 a month. So it's pretty amazing that someone would pay this $288,000 um, to own a car park. Maybe it would work out as an investment uh, if you did own a car park at that level. Uh, I haven't got my calculator in front of me, but it would in- be interesting to see what the rate of return is and whether car parking works as an investment. As I mentioned, though, only the owners of apartments in that complex could buy that particular space. So just on that, uh, we're going to have a, uh, a little bit of music now. This is you 2 This is Pride in the Name of Love.
And you're listening to Property Matters here on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo, irarangi o nga tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. It's lovely having your company. We were talking a little bit about the market before the break and uh, and now we're actually moving on to something that's of a major issue here to do with the need to build new houses in this country. And there's a few articles here I'll refer to, but there's a shortage of materials and it's interesting to see what effect that's having on uh, things like new build prices. So this first article says, millions of cubic metres of logs leave our shores every year all while we remain desperately short of timber. So if you want to build a house in New Zealand, you'll likely want timber, but in a country that cuts down around 40,000 hectares of trees, and remember from previously, that's 40,000 rugby fields worth of trees, there is a shortage of the stuff. So let's have a look at why. Because builders are really struggling to get hold of the basic building materials, and this will affect prices. So there's been ongoing demand uh, or timber supply issues since 2019 and 20 due to rising consumer and trade demand and a rise in log prices, according to the New Zealand Building Industry Federation. It hit the headlines in a big way, you might remember, in March when timber manufacturer Carter Holt Harvey decided to halt the sale of structural timber to some retailers, including Bunnings and Mitre 10, because of its own shortages. So at the same time, New Zealand needs to build an estimated 40,000 new homes to meet a shortfall. The Ardern government has announced plans to build a total of 18,350 public and transitional homes. So all of this means more timber is needed. It also means that supplies tighten and prices go up, so do the average cost of building a house. So even though the forestry workers cut down 300, oh sorry, beg your pardon, cut down around 36 million cubic metres of logs annually, which would be roughly enough to fill a million 20-foot cubic shipping containers, around 60% of those logs head offshore. China alone takes half of the logs cut down in New Zealand to build houses, apartments and other infrastructure projects and for the production of value-added goods like plywood uh, that they then export. So why does so much timber go to China? Well, simply they're able to pay more. But there's more to the answer than supply and demand. You see, there's the free trade agreement, which New Zealand and China signed in 2008, which got rid of import taxes on New Zealand logs going to China, but did not eliminate those on other wood products that New Zealand produces, such as plywood. So in short, it means that it's more economical for China to buy logs from New Zealand and other wood products. And it means that New Zealand logs are comparatively attractive to logs from countries without free trading agreements with China. So this demand has resulted in higher prices for New Zealand logs. So it really means that uh, the money talks, I guess, and and the, a lot of, a lot is being exported. Um, you know, they say, can't we just cut down more trees? Well, it's not not just the trees, but also the capacity to turn the logs into structural timber. That's the issue. And there's been a number of processing plant closures, and the sector has seen a decade of underinvestment. So uh, it's hard to know uh, where that's going to go, but it leads on to another article here, which says a dearth or dearth, sorry, beg your pardon, of dwangs. Four by twos run dry and the cost of building supplies soar. This is by Tom Hunt in businessandstuff.co.nz. So the timber shortage means that the builders are struggling to get the basics of their trade with warnings that some building supplies will cost up to 30% more than uh, before the year is out. Her partner and builder at Gen X, 
Richard Wilman on Monday went to Bunnings and could not find any 2 by 4 wood, a staple of the building trade. Another merchant had some but was running low. Wilman is now dealing with three different merchants as he tried to get wood to finish the jobs and was now ordering wood weeks ahead of when it was needed. And I was talking to a builder on the weekend who was saying the exact same thing. So recently he was contacted by one merchant warning that prices for wood were expected to increase by up to 35% by Christmas and warned of timber price increases of 4 and 25% this year. And of course that price will get passed on to customers, making building more expensive. So New Zealand should be in a building timber boom to address the housing crisis. Despite large areas of forestry, much was sent overseas, as I mentioned before, and the article goes on uh, to talk more about that and about the shortfall in the number of properties. There's another article here just a couple of days later under industry that says COVID-19, or it's relating to COVID-19, New Zealand dropped off the global supply chain by many construction material suppliers. So this is threatening to stall the building sector here, a report has warned. Ryder Levitt Bucknell's second quarter 2021 international report says that while the New Zealand construction market has navigated the COVID-19 pandemic well, labour shortages coupled with global supply chain disruptions continue to put pressure on construction costs. Stephen Gracie, the Managing Director of RLB New Zealand, said that while there was a decline in the volume of construction activity in the last quarter of 2020 and into 2021 with a large number of projects completing, most contractors... Oh, there's my phone in the background. Apologies for that. (laughs) You get all sorts here on uh, NPR.nz. So he said that uh, most contractors are able to trade through, which has been a challenging and uncertain time because the pipeline is not working. So the there's additional costs on building supply companies here to try and get what they need for the country. Um, one New Zealand company is spending as much as $65,000 a week on shipping costs to try and encourage uh, the the delivery of goods to New Zealand or, or of their goods to New Zealand. So there's a number of um, unique challenges there that are putting prices up. So I mentioned in a previous show that it'll have to be a bit of a watch this space because in the olden days of not too long ago, uh, when you agreed on a price to build a house, you would also sign a document to agree that that could increase uh, due to outside variables and then you would pay the difference um, at, at the end of the process. That's not currently the case. The current situation is if you're building, you could, for example, lock in a home and build package and then uh, at a certain price, and then if it took six months or 12 months to build, you don't have to pay any more. So we'll have to see if, if that sort of thing uh, may start to come in. There's a couple of articles I, I've seen as well in terms of rising prices. The cost of valuations on residential properties has gone up fairly significantly, 20% in the last two years. And why is this a problem? Well, sometimes... Uh, when purchasing properties, the banks will require property valuations uh, or if buyers are looking at buying a property, they may get a valuation to make sure that they're not overpaying. And of course, uh, the average valuation now is costing over $1,000 in Auckland and Wellington. So that's something just to be aware of. Uh, sometimes these are also uh, expected if you're doing a sale into a trust or another entity um, or within family and so forth. Another thing that's really jumped uh, or that's in the news is that 
home buyers are being pressured to purchase properties without building reports. And this is according to the Building Officials Institute of New Zealand. So they give an example of an Aucklander, Sean Koromansky. He and his fiance had been looking for two years. They'd watched prices skyrocket post-lockdown, and by the time they viewed a particular Avondale property they would eventually buy in July, both were desperate to own a home. They were told the seller already had three offers fall through, and during negotiations the couple were asked to remove a building report as a condition of the purchase. He says, it was a huge red flag for me and it was stressing me out quite a bit. But luckily, uh, his fiance's father is a builder and gave the property the thumbs up. Now, estate agents are real estate agents. I can't imagine they would instruct people or pressure people to take out building reports because that would be extremely um, unethical. And they must practice in accordance with real estate authority rules. So, therefore, it's um, however. In a market that is extremely competitive, where there's multiple offers and that sort of thing, it is common for uh, buyers to look at removing some of those barriers to them having a successful offer accepted. Uh, And that's where certainly there's usually talk about um, having the fewer clauses as possible. For example, if you're up against a cash offer, but you've put in a building report and the offers are reasonably similar Um, human nature says that uh, the vendor might go with the one that doesn't have the building report because it's one less barrier. So uh, I would always suggest and advise that you do get uh, a builder's report prior to purchasing a property. Um, But it is really just a symptom of the market at the moment being so busy where um, some of these uh, traditional clauses are being um, dropped out of contracts, for example, removal of clauses to sell a house and, and uh, or a building report, that sort of thing. So just be careful out there when you're, when you're looking at buying. Try and do your research, uh, get information in advance. A lot of the real estate salespeople selling houses now provide an information pack, which can be pretty helpful with regards to much of that information. But buying a property is buyer beware to a certain extent. Um, the salesperson must disclose anything, any reason they know why you may not want to buy it or that might affect your offer, but it's the stuff that we don't know about that the building reports can find and so forth that it is a risk if you look to remove that from contracts. So uh, my advice would be not to do that, yet um, some, it is happening more often, often enough that they've put that into the media in the last week or so. But that's all we've got time for this week. This has been Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. You can find this show on MPR, that's Manawatu People's Radio.nz, and any previous shows, or alternatively, where all good podcasts are found if you just search Property Matters and Greg Watson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch up with you next time. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.